Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Who Do Justice Magic, binaural production engineer Damien Keller, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to the show, go to my website, everythingimaginable2020.com, and you'll find everything you need there. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Louise Eddington. She is the author of The Complete Guide to Astrology and also Modern Astrology. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you for asking me. I'm uh, always willing to come on and talk about astrology. To be <laughs> so, so what brought you to astrology? Oh, boy. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. Um, I've actually got some um, writings of sun sign uh, meanings and things that I probably wrote when I was about 13, 12, 13, in that teen writing. And I, I was always interested in it, but when I was 29, which is um, the first Saturn return in astrology, when it's kind of one of the stages of life, the cycles of life, I um, had a friend who had studied astrology and she did my chart for me and did a, a written reading. And it was so accurate that I was just hooked to learn more beyond just the meaning of the sun signs, which most people know. And she lent me some books. I taught myself how to hand calculate um, astrology horoscope charts because there was no computer programs when I started. <laughs> and for years, I just did it as a hobby and would practice on whoever would let me um, and read books and um, magazines. And then in 2012, I just kind of had a big kind of awakening and said, I want to be a professional astrologer. Why aren't I doing what I love for, for my business? So I did. <laughs> awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, you know, one of the things, like, like I know me personally, my son's sign is Capricorn. I'll be born December 30th, 1967. Mm -hmm. And I don't fit Capricorn very well. Like, if I look at my personality traits and, and the way I operate, like the only thing that that I have in common with a normal Capricorn is my work ethic, but mm -hmm. everything else is not even close. Does that happen a lot? It it does. Um, it happens fairly frequently. I mean, there is one major thing that you kind of found in common with the Sun sign Capricorn, but I also have to say that uh, Capricorn, I, in my opinion, is one of those signs that uh, kind of gets a bit of a bad rap and bad press in sun sign astrology. It's, you know, described as this very, um, very serious kind of <laughs> um, almost cold and mirthless kind of energy, but it, which Capricorn isn't. But however, um, you know, your whole chart must be taken into account. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, you know, that's based on the date, time and place you were born. Your rising sign is uh, kind of what 
your personality out in the world is and and you may have a very different personality to your sun sign also where your sun is in the chart affects how strongly it shows also how many other planets are in capricorn it's quite common to just have um, the sun in whatever sign you're born in and all your other planets uh, bringing other energy into the chart so you know some sign astrology has some value of course um, but um, we can't look at it just alone really so. okay so so with sun sign all right so I'm, i've been dating so every time i i date somebody new I, I check to see if i'm compatible with that particular sign <laughs> how accurate is that one because mm. again it doesn't seem to be i don't know the person that i'm clicking with is according to my sun sign sun sign it says i'm like the least compatible with but yeah, yeah. it seems like yeah, the opposite again <laughs> Yeah, I don't put much stock in that, to be quite honest. Um, I think you can be compatible with any sun sign because of all the other factors in the chart. And uh, sometimes a little bit of supposed incompatibility or a little tension can actually bring kind of more of a spark. So it's not something I focus on in my work at all. Um, and in fact, myself personally, well, I've been married 25 years now, but but even before that, on even in my life with other kind of um, partnerships, business partnerships and things, I don't ask what their sun sign is. I don't even um, think about it. <laughs> I, go, I go on um, on how it feels more. So um, astrology, you know, the, the popular astrology with the sun signs and saying this sign is compatible with that is, is kind of diminishing the depth the true depth of astrology, in my opinion. So. <laughs> hmm. um, how about this Mercury situation? I mean, I will say that one thing that definitely seems true to me is whenever Mercury goes into retrograde, my life just completely falls apart. Yours does. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah. it's a nightmare. Yeah, not everybody's does, but um, it, it kind of, again, depends on where Mercury is in your chart and how attuned to you are to Mercury. And um, and also uh, my personal ethos with astrology is actually kind of working with the energies. And to my mind, Mercury retrograde is a time to just slow down, check the details. If you keep going at your manic pace and, uh, and just expect everything to work as normal, then, then you're probably going to have a few issues. Um, not many people's lives completely fall apart, but I guess it's what depends what you mean by that when you say my life falls apart but this mercury retrograde where we're in as we record this has been particularly cranky because we also have uh, venus moving retrograde at the same time and they are our two most personal planets as after the sun and the moon and so to have them both working <laughs> apparently retrograde from our perspective because of course planets don't actually move backwards um uh, is causing a little bit of um um yeah crankiness and things going wrong and relationships and miscommunications perhaps having difficulties so what would you what do you mean by life falls apart what would you say that, that i would say everything that can go wrong goes wrong you know, mm -hmm. I, I open a bag of dog food and it'll end up all over the kitchen floor or, 
eat, um, yeah. I, I try to cook something and it ends up in fire. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> My clarbone started, all that kind of crazy things. Yeah, 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 it's all, it's all things like that usually. And in some, in some ways they are kind of minor things that can be resolved, right? You can pick up all the dog food or you can, <laughs> you can get your car fixed, but they're, they're, they're kind of more annoyances and, um, and you know, for example, um, Mercury rules, um, cars and, and, mechanical things and computers and stuff like that so it's a good idea to uh, back up your computer before a mercury retrograde um, if you don't have a normal backup or to perhaps get your car serviced if you're going on a trip before you, <laughs> before you drive anywhere in a mercury retrograde but it happens three times a year and in fact like this year we actually get almost three and a half retrogrades this year. So it's it's a big span of your life to to kind of stop living. So I'm, I do not believe in um, in a lot of the popular law about don't sign contracts, don't buy new things, don't do this. Many uh, don't start businesses. That's another one. Many things bought or begun in a Mercury retrograde have lasted a long time. It's pretty random. Mercury is a bit of a trickster, how he shows up and how he uh, kind of um, uh, manifests in his retrogrades. My biggest one this time was that I was doing an astrology consultation for somebody and I forgot to record it. So that's a pain. I'm going to have to, you know, offer her another session to make up for it. But it's not the end of the world. <laughs> so, yeah. I still yeah. would prefer not to leave my home when it happens. Really? Oh, I don't believe in stopping living, but that's I up do. to you. Damn <laughs> planet. Um, so, so how can astrology be used um, to improve our lives and to help give us a better perspective of ourselves and other people? Because, I mean, obviously, I think when we look at all these archetypes and stuff like that, to me, that's one of the most valuable things is it gives me that point of view that I normally wouldn't have. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, the, the astrology I practice is primarily called evolutionary astrology and um, I believe that we are here to kind of evolve and grow throughout our lives and astrology can help you do that by understanding um, your character traits and what perhaps the, um, the less favorable uh, traits are of each placement in your chart and how you can work towards being your best self really and um, and saying take the high road or whatever you know for example um, Mars in a Sagittarius or which I have can be um, overly assertive and overly aggressive so you know you might be aware of that in yourself but once you become um, once it's pointed out to you, you can choose to kind of hmm. uh, hold back a little bit and and just be a little bit gentler, <laughs> a bit softer. And then, you know, we, we work also with um, where the planets are now in relation to your birth chart and how they are activating your chart. And for example, a Pluto transit on a, on, on a person's chart is a time of uh, real um, uh, soul change and growth and evolution and kind of uh, personal development and it might be a good time to say to somebody well you know if you're struggling with it it might be a really good time to 
to uh, go to a therapist for a while to kind of talk this over with them so that you can lean in and work with the energy rather than resisting it. And so it just gives guidance to help people to um, to grow and live live their best life. And uh, that's how it works for me. And, is there a generational effect of the planets also, especially the planets that are like way out there, like Pluto and Uranus? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Pluto, for example, again, Pluto generations roughly align with what we would call like the baby boomers, Gen X, millennials. Um, and uh, Pluto in Leo generation, they were uh, really the first generation of of teenagers they're the boomers they kind of had it good life was life was fun and um and they made the most of it and of course now they get blamed for all the ills in the world as well but um but uh you know they were kind of taught feeling like they were a bit entitled to mm. uh, to get the most out of life then Pluto and Virgo generation are more a generation that was, were a little bit more humble and a little bit more service oriented, doing good with people. Pluto in Libra, a kind of more the power couple generation, if you like. Um, um, Libra is very much about, um, you know, how things look and about balance and harmony and beauty. And if you think of uh, the, what we call the power couples, that's kind of their focus and so on and so forth. So, yeah, there is there is generational um, elements to it, of course. And um, oh, I don't know where I was going with that. Carry on. Ask me questions. <laughs> <laughs> is there anything to like the idea of us moving into a new age, like the age of Aquarius and things like that? Or what age? In fact, oh. there's always seems to be some confusion about what age are we in, and what <laughs> age are we going into? You know, some yeah. people say we entered the age of Aquarius like around the '60s. Other people was happening say it was happening around 2012. And now people are saying it's happening now. I, I don't. Well, ages don't begin on a day or an on a year. Mm -hmm. They kind of. Uh, because of the cycles of the planets and the evolutionary style and, and change of the cycles of the planets, um, ages kind of uh, fade in and fade out, if you like. And it's my opinion that we are kind of in the process of leaving one age and the new one beginning. And so we are leaving the age of Pisces for sure, but we still have not released all that needs to be left behind from the age of Pisces. And we have not fully stepped into the age of Aquarius. Um, I'm not, you know, I, I see it as bit by bit, really. Um, I do think the age of Aquarius, um, I think we actually started to move into the age of Aquarius in back in um, the Industrial Revolution, personally. And other astrologers do too. But it's a good, um, it's a good probably two to four hundred year period of shifting and changing. Even even the smaller cycles of astrology rarely um, just shift on a moment. Um, for example, we have um, a conjunction between the two planets, Jupiter and Saturn, that happens every year. Uh, sorry, every 20 years, not every year. And um, for 200 years, we had the Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions in Earth signs, always in Earth signs. 
Until 1980, we had one in an air sign. Then 20 years later, in 2000, we had an earth sign again. And then in 2020, we shifted into air for the for the next 200 years. And, and when the great conjunctions, as they call them, uh, mutate into a new element, we, we really start to have a whole new shift of emphasis. We're moving into a time of great innovation and that's um, very kind of about air, ideas, new ideas. Uh, the last time was the Renaissance, so you can kind of get an idea of how that was. The, the 200 years in earth signs was very materialistic and also um, involved a lot of um, machinery and inventions that kind of damaged the earth if you like really with the with the um, industrial revolution so nothing kind of begins and ends on a day so we're we're lucky enough or <laughs> depending on your perspective to be born in a time of of massive shifts in many ways so yeah interesting yeah. how about um there, there's different types of astrology there's like what we have here in the west then there's like you know the chinese astrology and air signs there's vedic astrology there's native american astrology how how do you take all those into account can they put to be put together into one system should it be viewed as independently um did he ever contradict each other uh, people are some people are trying to uh, bring them together into um, into a, one system. I don't know if that's going to be entirely possible because it's too big a project. They do usually pretty much complement each other. They just have a different emphasis. Vedic astrology is much more uh, predictive and um, and it's based on a different zodiac. Uh, we I use the tro tropical zodiac, which most Western astrology does. Vedic uses the sidereal, and and so, uh, but but the, the energy flow usually pretty much works together. Um, astrology, like in a Chinese astrology, we're moving into a uh, water tiger um, year, and as as the water tiger year begins. In my astrology system, we actually have um, nothing in the fire element for quite a long period of time, which is a time of great inspiration and uh, creation, which fits with the water tiger element. So there's usually a lot of tie-ins with the energy overall. Um, and I, I kind of try to bring in a lot of other stuff in my writing and um, in a lot of my work with I have a membership group I bring in numerology and um, the tarot as well some of these other systems and I do find that they're all really kind of forms of just tuning in to the cycles and energies of um, of whatever creates this universe we live in so that's how they they work for me so, yeah they, they all work together in my opinion interesting <laughs> how would astrology work if we were living on another planet mm. well well astrology the astrology we practice is earth-centered and we see it from that perspective mm -hmm. so i think we'd probably have to watch the cycles um from the planet we move to and see how they 
build up the history of it as astrologers have done here since Sumerian and Babylonian times. It would take some... Uh, <laughs> Thousands some, of years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you probably want to start with the basics, you know, um, one of the earliest uh, planets, well, obviously the sun's movement was, was tracked um, particularly for, you know, planting and farming and working with the land and things. And then Venus, um, Venus's cycle was um, was pretty much tracked very early on to develop. So you'd probably start with the faster moving, most noticeable energies to see how they affected you. So I don't ever plan on living on another planet. <laughs> <laughs> I suspect that eventually we will, though. <laughs> Not in my lifetime, I don't think. <laughs> I have no interest. I like it here. <laughs> I, I do too, but I do think that we're going to have to move out eventually. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> um, how about, you know, sometimes I, I recently heard a theory that at one time our solar system was a binary solar system and when it was a binary solar system there was another planet that has this ridiculously long orbit and I'm sure you may have heard of it it's like Nibiru um, is that ever considered in any type of astrology oh probably I haven't considered it though so you know there's enough to work with with them um, with the asteroids and and the newly discovered dwarf planets that we've uh, that keep being discovered, in fact, like um, Eris and um, Ixion and Haumea and <laughs> this and there's uh, more asteroids than you can shake a stick at. So I think I've got quite enough to deal with without hmm. going down that rabbit hole. Uh, but there is one thing that I love about astrology that it is an endless rabbit hole, but. I think you have to choose your medicine and choose which ones work for you. So, <laughs> so how, no, I haven't looked at that one. <laughs> how about Pluto when it was downgraded from not being a planet to being something else? I forget what it was. And I guess the recent, planet, yeah. and, and, and I don't know what it is considered now. I think it's, is it a planet again? It, it's well, no, not by not by the formal um, astronomical naming body. No, it is not. It's a dwarf planet. Um, when Eris was discovered, um, dwarf planet Eris, and she was discovered in 2005 and named in 2006. Um, astronomers um, had to come up with all new classification for all these new bodies that were being discovered. And they, they um, promoted um, or reclassified Ceres, who was an asteroid. First she was a planet, then she was an asteroid, now she's a dwarf planet. And now we have planets, asteroids, and dwarf planets, according to astronomers. Um, personally, as an astrologer, I don't really care what the astronomers <laughs> uh, classify them as because their energy is still the same. Pluto is one powerful um, energy. Mm -hmm. um, as we can see right now, we've had Pluto... Um, Kind of destroying our institutions and um, and government structures since two thousand and eight, pretty much. So in conjunct in in collaboration with some other planets, and um, 
So, you know, astronomers get tied up in whether what what a planet is has to be exactly round or do this or do that, have displayed these things. And mm, personally, um, in the astrology of it, it doesn't really make a big difference to me. So Pluto, I just call Pluto a planet. <laughs> so, so how is Pluto influencing the, the, the shake-up in our political system? I know, too, if I was looking at your website, one of your things is you do a little bit of activism also. Mm-hmm. So how, how does that work? Like, how, what, what is it that Pluto is doing to cause this turmoil? I can't pronounce that word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, turbulence or tumult. <laughs> yeah, uh, Pluto um, is is the ex is he excavates, he digs up. He's related to things like uh, corruption and sewers and caves and hidden secrets and uh, revelation and and such like. And and so we can see that you know he's he, since he moved into Capricorn, which. He is the first time since, uh, well, the USA is about to experience its Pluto return. In its formation, it had Pluto in Capricorn. So we're particularly being affected here in the USA. Clearly, I'm not from the USA, but I live in the USA. And um, so what he's doing in Capricorn, Capricorn represents our institutions and the the man-made laws and structures that we live under. Um, so commonly known as capitalism, patriarchal, hierarchical structures. You know, we have uh, the hierarchies with CEOs earning millions of dollars and, and such like, and, um, and um, leaders who, who have basically gone pretty power hungry in many places. And, and Pluto is excavating that by revealing the, um, the, corruption and the shadow side of of what we've created so that we can kind of destroy destroy it and rebuild it in a in a new way so <laughs> i mean today we can see oh that uh, mars joined pluto in capricorn this morning and the stock market's gone <laughs> yeah it has been a rough day for the market oh yeah <laughs> hmm. um yeah. So, but it's more about how the structures work. Mm-hmm. So, oh, I think you froze. So, how long will this take? How how long until Pluto yeah. gets well, out of Capricorn? More about that while we record. I think I may have lost you. Sorry, I lost you for a moment. Um, Mercury. Mercury. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So, so how long does it take for Pluto to get out of Capricorn? He's going to um, actually, he because he moves very slowly and um, all the um, outer planets go retrograde each year, he's going to bob back and forth until uh, late 2024, really. So, um, and this year, uh, the USA is going to have three um, exact Pluto returns, which means that Pluto will... Um, be at the point Pluto was at when um, on um, July the 4th, <laughs> 1776, three times. Um, and so um, I don't know what the USA is going to look like after that. So <laughs> we'll see. That stuff scares me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I, I, um, Pluto has, um, Pluto in my life, Pluto has transited over almost every planet in my chart. And ultimately I find Pluto has a heart and, and digs up what no longer is working and, and gets rid of that and leaves us with uh, kind of new forms. Um, in the tarot, it's the tower card. I happen to have that mm-hmm. really. It's Mars or Pluto. It's kind of destructuring, destructuring and restructuring. So this is basically a kind of a healing restructuring card. So um, it's officially the Mars card, but this is very of Mars and Pluto. So we're mm. getting both this month. So. I don't like it. I like Jupiter better. Jupiter's my ruling planet. I love Jupiter. Yeah, you can't so. go wrong with Jupiter. Yeah. Yeah, and to look at the, what we've got going on at the moment, we have Jupiter moving into, um, or he's moved into Pisces, and he's the traditional ruler of Pisces, and we have the modern ruler of Pisces, Neptune, um, also in Pisces, and they're going to um, meet in April um, in Pisces, and this should also elevate kind of um, spirituality and uh, kind of love in the in, in the world and we really kind of need more of that you know and by that I kind of mean like unconditional love like higher love not just um, one-on-one interpersonal love so the last time those two met in Pisces Jupiter and Neptune was in 1865 and spiritualism and such like was on the rise then so you know, not everything's kind of all about collapse. There's, there's uh, a lot about building new um, new forms and uh, stepping into uh, loving each other more um, unconditionally. There's so much separation in the world and, and Pisces is more of a, a merging kind of sign. The downside of it, Jupiter and Neptune together this year, is that there may be more delusion and... Um, and you know talk of fake news and stuff like that and people being taken in a lot more because it's got a fantasy element to it as well Hmm. we've seen that with pisces in uh, neptune in pisces for sure (laughs) Hmm. so mars is mars the uh the planet of war and and we have all this stuff going on with the Russian situation, mm-hmm. is Mars pointing us towards a war situation? I, I'm not a predictive astrologer, but uh, Mars is definitely, um, he is the god of, uh, he is the god of war, but he in mythology, he never actually went to war, but he is associated with more aggression and fighting. And in, he's just moved into Capricorn this morning as we record this. And we can feel the drums of war beating um, everywhere. My hope is that his journey through uh, Capricorn is pretty quick. And I think he moves out on February the 10th. And, um, oh no, it's longer than that. Anyway, it doesn't matter. He's, he's going through pretty quickly. I can actually tell you the date in a second. But um, he's also what's called out of bounds at the moment, and which means he's acting erratically. So we can see that with these drums of war. You know, it's kind of like, I don't know if you saw on the news this morning, we've not only got the Ukraine situation and that kind of little standoff, 
we've also got um, China and Taiwan. There's more yeah. stuff going on there. There was, uh, you know, there's people showing their military strength um, and such like. But Mars is also the guardian of agriculture, and he's kind of the guardian of of uh, how protector. So we we feel him putting up walls um, as he moves into Capricorn. But Capricorn is, you know, if we can step into the higher energy of Capricorn, Capricorn is really kind of wisdom, elder wisdom, and uh, and using that kind of strength and wisdom to resist going to war. And, and Mars in this journey through uh, Capricorn is going to connect with several other energies, uh, Venus, um, which is retrograde at the moment, uh, Pluto, a um, couple of asteroids, Vesta and Juno. And so there is the potential, um, hopefully, for, you know, some kind of wisdom to come in and saying, no, we've got to do things a different way. And and then Mars will pretty quickly move into Aquarius. Um, so... I did want to give you the date. So yeah, Mars is in um, Capricorn until March the 5th. There we go. Oh, that's we're a long time. The 10th that's that's yeah. too long. It's not very long for Mars, actually, <laughs> at all. It's quite fast for Mars. And um, in that time, he's, move, he's moving past a lot of these um, um, transformational planets. Uh, Mars and Pluto and Venus all meet on uh, the USA's Pluto on um, uh, March the 3rd, I believe, um, almost exactly right on it. So that's kind of a, 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 a day to watch, I would say. But these energies can always go two ways. You know, we can realize that we're on a fast track to... Uh, something dangerous and it takes a steady hand and some wise kind of navigating to move beyond it so we can just hope that we've got that <laughs> i i would never predict um this the, I, I i'm i learned from one of the best astrologers in in the business his name is stephen forrest and regarding making exact predictions mm -hmm. in astrology he says yeah he says you know Sometimes those predictions are right, and that's when you hear about them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because there's always uh, other options that can occur. So. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of the planets in the astral bodies are usually named after gods and goddesses. Um, who is Earth named after? Mm, oh, boy. Well, Gaia really is um, the god of the earth. So um, I don't know who, where the name Earth came from. Earth's an element, and it is our home. It's our physical home because Earth represents Earth element represents uh, all that you can touch, feel, s smell, all the senses. I don't know. I don't know where the word Earth came from. I've never looked into that. Before. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things that bothers me, yeah. that nobody knows who named Earth Earth. Oh. And that's the English name for it. So what was it called in previous cultures? Who knows? 
I don't know the etymology of the word. Yeah, like I wonder. I mean, if, if Earth means home, then that means if there's extraterrestrials, you would also consider their planets Earth. True, but they would speak a different language, so they would call it something else. Possibly. <laughs> I don't think. I don't think the whole unit cosmos speaks English. I don't know. I don't know what they speak. (laughs) Maybe in uh, maybe in when I have spare moments, which I don't get very often, I'll look up the etymology of the word Earth and investigate it, um, and look up what the ancients called it when they first um, communicated in words. Yeah, it's just a weird one, you know, that it's a question that I never thought of even asking until recently. I was like, how is it that I've gone through my entire life never questioning why? I never wondered that to begin with. Yeah. You know, I just take it for granted that, okay, that's the name of the planet. Yeah. Well, I mean, our language kind of shapes our perceptions in my view. And, um, you know, we've... um, Man, well, it's a huge subject, isn't it? Humans, humans are the only ones kind of with uh, um, kind of the ability to completely control our environment. And the language we use has kind of uh, been how we approach our environment, Um, often through domination and control, which is how we've set up our way of living. So why we named it Earth? Maybe it's because we have to be in touch with it, with our senses, because it's the Earth element. So I don't know. Language mm. is a funny thing, and I question a lot of it, but I haven't questioned that one before. So that's mm. a big philosophical topic, I think, and one I'll probably go and think about for night after night now. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is a good segue, because in, in, in your book, um, Modern Astrology, you change some of the... Um, traditional language that is used in astrology, like rather than using masculine and feminine, you start using day and night. Um, oh, in this book, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. oh, do you? The complete, yeah, the complete guide to astrology. I do that. Well, I was asked to write this book um, from a um, non-binary perspective because my um, editor, um, it was, I was paid to write the book. Um, is LBGTQ and she said most um, astrology books are written you know to um, straight people basically so I took the challenge on and but it became something bigger than that as as I wrote the book I realized that you know we are um, you know defining everything in our cosmos as this polarized black or white, separate, masculine and feminine. In astrology, we are doing that. You know, we describe Mars as masculine and Venus as feminine, yet we all have Mars and we all have Venus within us. And we have it. We have masculine and feminine traits as all kind of working together in mm-hmm. harmony within each of us and within the world and within the cosmos. And even to go to the planets, you know, Mars is described as this very masculine, aggressive kind of male figure. But yet we've discovered water on, on Mars, which is 
traditionally a female um, element. So there's an old astrolog astrological technique called the astrology of sect that used the terms night and day instead. And I was like, you know, we can see night and day. You know, we can, as, as the earth turns, we can see night turning into dusk and dawn and then full daylight and then it revolves again and then we have the twilight zones between day and night. Nothing is completely day or completely night or completely masculine or completely feminine. You know, when it's day here, it's sunshine, it's night <laughs> on the opposite side of the world. And um, and it, it seemed to me to reflect the language we use in astrology, saying everything is masculine or feminine, uh, seemed to me to uh, partially reflect a lot of the polarization we have in the world really and and since we're in a, a time where we're moving into this new age which we went back to the age of Aquarius and I speak about that in the book as well with um, its two waves moving side by side is the glyph one on top of the other and moving into science, realizing that everything's connected with wave theory and theory and all these quantum uh, science theories, that we're realizing that everything is connected and everything works together. You know, it's that thing about the butterfly flapping its wings and causing something happening to happen on the other side of, um, of the world. Um, and so I thought, well, how about we look at it at a at a more integrated way and and perhaps use language that's less polarizing. It was just kind of a proposal mm. just to kind of make people think about looking at it in a different way. Yeah, I thought it was really cool, you know. Cool. And you even yeah. mention it in the book too about everything being interconnected and mm -hmm. you know, propose propose that, you know, that that some of the theories that are in quantum physics may be what is at work in astrology. Yeah. And, and I thought that was also very interesting. Yeah, well, and, you know, we know that the moon affects the tides. Uh, it just does, you know, on a full moon or, or a, when the moon's closer to Earth, we, like, have the king tides and such like, and the tides ebb and flow according to the moon cycles. Women's cycles ebb and flow according to the moon. And and it, it this reflects out with all the other planetary bodies. The, the whole... The whole way the the system works is kind of m moving together. Really, it's not like Venus just does one thing and it's totally standing alone from Mars, or Pluto does one thing and it's standing alone from Neptune. They all work in cycles and um, and move together in in a quite delightful harmony. Really, it makes you kind of think they must them. There must have been some creative force behind it, whatever you call it. I don't know. I don't call it anything. Just maybe creative force. Because <laughs> it's a complete mystery to me what could have created this thing that works in such beautiful harmony. So, <laughs> yeah. it, it, the, the, Does astrology play a role in our spiritual lives and how we view things? I think it can. Not everybody uses it in that respect. I think most, uh, you know, pop astrology kind of uses it to say, you know, am I compatible with that sun sign as you, as you mentioned at the start? But um, 
I think there's a lot of us um, in the astrology world who are turning into what one of my, uh, or not just one, there's, there's several uh, astrological friends of mine um, called sky astrologers. We kind of want to get out and feel the um, energies. In my first book, um, Modern Astrology, I, um, I give exercises in each chapter to help people kind of really tune into um, the, the energy of each sign and each planetary energy. And that's how I work with my clients quite often. I use uh, shamanic journey work so that people can get to know the energies themselves and feel that connection with the planet rather than just reading about it. And, and I think in that way, it can become a spiritual evolutionary journey. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> I know it's helped me on my spiritual evol evolutionary journey, for sure. It, it, um, I just feel very in tune with how the world works. So. so if I want to experience Venus, I can just go out and fall in love. <laughs> Good. Venus is more than that, though. Venus is our relationship to all kinds of things, uh, not just people. Uh, She's, she is love, she, but uh, she's one of the planets that's, well, a lot of astrology has just diminished these planets to a couple of basic meanings. But um, Venus represents our core values. She also represents our material desires and needs. So it's more than just about falling in love with a partner. Yeah. Yeah. Um. One of the things, like, like when I first started learning about astrology, was like when I was reading about, you know, different occult books and how, you know, for certain rituals, the planets had to be in certain places and things like that. And, and I found it, like, way too complicated. I was like, oh, there's just no way I could ever follow all this stuff. Um, do you ever run across people who are just, like, they want to learn astrology, but at the same time, just like, oh, it's just too complicated. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it is a complex subject and it's not for everybody. But you can um, you can understand a lot from just learning the basics. But, you know, that's why in ancient times, um, royal courts and things had a court astrologer to help them to understand it because not everybody can learn everything about everybody so that's my job <laughs> <laughs> my job to help people understand how the astrology works within them and in their lives so, hmm. yeah like, like when i look i've experimented with the charts and you know like i could get to the point you know where okay it's like this planet and this sign means this and that but then there's like that part where you start connecting all the different planets together with different lines and it's just like i don't know what's happening i think it takes a certain kind of um um processing um way of working to to be able to look at a chart and put all those pieces together, it's, it, you know, you have to be a bit of a, somebody who can see the patterns in a big, at a more overall level. It just isn't for everybody, you know, especially once you bring in all the extra things like <laughs> you know, asteroids and stuff like that, like I do. But 
you can still understand an awful lot about yourself from learning the real basics of the chart. So your sun sign, your moon sign, which is how you um, respond to the world emotionally and um, it's all about your emotional act, um, way of working. And then your rising sign is kind of your receptionist, how people see you when they first meet you one-on-one -on -one or what you project to the world when you uh, meet people one-on-one. -on -one. So just to learn those three basics, you can understand a lot more about yourself and how you work. Um, mm. But otherwise, go and get a good reading from an astrologer. Because one of the things I think I read when I was reading your book was, my sun sign is Capricorn. Mm -hmm. And then one thing that, uh, that was mentioned was the rising sign, which I'm not really sure what it does, but my rising sign is Sagittarius. Ah, well, I'm Sagittarius. And I, don't, and I don't even know what Sagittarius does. Sagittarius rising is usually very uh, fun and kind of freedom-loving. They often travel quite a lot, and uh, or at least travel in the mind if they don't travel physically. Well, that would um, definitely be me. Yeah. <laughs> and that's where I, I don't fit the Capricorn mold. Yeah, no, you see, Sagittarius, rising sign is just as important as um, as the sun sign, but unfortunately you have to know your time of birth to uh, to find out your rising sign. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, not all areas of the world know that, or not all people in the world know their rising sign, which is why sun sign astrology has become popular. But you are still a Capricorn, you know, and you and you said you've got that strong work ethic. That's one of the, the when, when, when I'm working, but then there's like this complete opposite part where I could just lay in bed all day, loose. where I could just lay in bed all day and just sort of like wander in my head. <laughs> yeah, well, Sagittarius, there you go. It just wants to wander anyway. They're the philosophers of the zodiac, so you know, and it will depend on, on the day, what else is happening in the skies and how it's affecting your personal chart. You know, like with Mars having just moved into Capricorn, uh, your sun sign, mm -hmm. you may go through, you know, a, a few weeks of real kind of pushing forward with your work and, and doing a lot. And then when um, uh, uh, Mars rules, it runs into Pisces, say, or a Sagittarius ruled sign when it well, it's been in Sagittarius for a few weeks. So you may have been more drawn to the philosophical kind of letting your mind wander kind of bent while Mars has been in Sagittarius. Because so. it's activated your rising sign. It would make sense. I have been kind of spacey and unproductive lately, at least uh -huh. doing physical stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like I finally vacuumed my house after two months yesterday. <laughs> I bought a Roomba. That does it for me. <laughs> I, I, had a, I have a Roomba, but it doesn't really work that well. Oh, mine does. <laughs> <laughs> I have an animal. I have animals, so it fills up really quick. Yeah. <laughs> does astrology affect animals? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I can tell when uh, my animals seem to know when it's a full moon and, and such like, for sure. And and some people even do astrolo astrology of animals. I have a book somewhere that talked about astrology of pets. I've never actually read it, though, because I've got too many books. I found a load of astrology books at um, an estate sale, and I'm not ne probably never going to be able to find time to read them all in my lifetime, to be quite honest. So. <laughs> what are you going to do with them? 
oh, I might donate them to an astrology library or something at some point. Is there such a thing as an astrology library? There is, yeah. There's, uh, there's a new one that's just been created, and I think it's in the Bay Area by a fabulous astrologer called Jen Zart. She's not taking any donations at the moment, but uh, when she is, I might uh, send her photographs of what books I have and see if she's interested in any. There's a guy in London who, who's also created an amazing library of astrology books. And, uh, and I, I predict there will be more at some point. So. I could probably start one here in, <laughs> here in Utah with all the books I've got. So. <laughs> how, how is astrology received in Utah? Um, I work online. I don't really um, work. But, but you know, Utah is not quite the state. Um, clearly, I am um, not from here. And um, when we moved here, I struggled to settle. But there's quite a strong spiritual alternative community in um, in Salt Lake, it, and particularly in the in Salt Lake City. Okay, itself. yeah, you're in the city. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know we have one of the oldest Pride festivals um, in the country, and and such like. And the Parliament of World Religions was was here last time it was held. Um, so there's there's a, a lot of um, more alternative kind of differences and the the LDS church itself doesn't really seem to um, reject astrology the way that some religions do mm -hmm. um, so I've definitely done astrology readings for some LDS people but um, but I don't do in-person readings um, I prefer to work online I'm quite the introvert and I'm happy to be on Zoom <laughs> with my yoga pants on. <laughs> it's like I live in Alabama and they tried to hang, they tried to hang me a couple times. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm not surprised. One of my <laughs> one of my good astrologer friends uh, lives in Alabama too. She's she finds that interesting. Yeah. Yeah, you got to um, hide. Yeah, the um the LDS church is not like that about astrology. Uh, the only, the worst people I've, not, not worst, I mean, you know, I don't mean that horribly, but um, uh, it's um, often Catholics or like strong Southern Baptist types mm -hmm. who, who, you know, uh, who will not have anything to do with astrology. So I used to have a Catholic friend when I was, before I was a professional astrologer. Um, and um, I just was not allowed to mention my astrology if we were hanging out together. <laughs> <laughs> and I did honor her request. She was a good friend. <laughs> Why do you think people were afraid of it? Because I, well, personally, I think it's because church, some church hierarchies have rejected things like astrology because it might mean their power and control um, goes away when people realize they don't need them anymore. Hmm. <laughs> but, but but like every couple pages in the Bible, somebody's going to see a prophet. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> that's why it's that's why it's nothing to do with the, the scriptures of the of most religions. It's to do with the control structures. Of, <laughs> 
organized religion, in my opinion. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, every, every once in a while, like, oh, oh, I don't know what I'm doing in this situation, so I better go see so-and-so. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But, but, you know, organized religion, um, primarily run by, uh, by men, um, has uh, rejected many, many things uh, and, and made them out to be bad and evil and wrong, um, including, you know, um, many divine feminine figures, goddess figures throughout history. The, uh, you know, like even the first wife of Adam, Lilith, was uh, portrayed as this child-eating demon, um, you know. So the, the language used by the hierarchies of organized religion is very interesting, and Pluto's doing its business on that too. So thank you, Pluto. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Got to do something about these people eating children, that's for sure. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's old. That's old libel against Jewish, isn't it? <laughs> Apparently, I never thought of it that way. But now, now I'm aware of how how old that propaganda goes. <laughs> no, yeah, it is, and really, it's about controlling people. So there you go. <laughs> And, and, you know, the early church, um, the, if you're looking at the Christian church um, alone, um, rejected and, and um, tried to destroy completely, um, like the, the Gospels of Mary Magdalene and, and mm -hmm. Thomas, because they create a whole different story to the Christian. Christian yeah, yeah, they took out the book well, of Christian Enoch, book. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm hmm. Hmm. But, it, but it's all kind of coming to the fore now. There's more people like you and me that um, uh, are discovering those things and researching them and uh, not buying into what the the powers say anymore. <laughs> so yeah. how does astrology come into play with psychic abilities? Mm, it, it, it doesn't really officially i say most good astro well it depends what you call psychic abilities as well um mediumship doesn't it can be used completely separately to astrology and you don't have to have psychic abilities to be an astrologer but there's de many different forms of um psychic abilities and intuition and uh, you know i i call my own um connection to what you call psychic abilities i call it knowing mm -hmm. it's kind of like when i look at an astrology chart it kind of dances for me and i just know stuff um that but i've studied as well so it's informed by the math and the science and the studying as right. well so i put it all together and then trust what kind of leaps out at me from the chart so. Right. Yeah, I do that too with tarot cards, every tarot card. Yeah. And I, you know, obviously I know all the traditional meanings and all that kind of stuff. But, but you know, there's also sort of a intuition side to it too. Very much so. I've, my, my third book's about to be published um, uh, in March, and that's uh, about using the astrology to understand the tarot. And, and throughout the book, I constantly say, trust what you yes learn all these things that you know but then you know add your own kind of words trust the trust what the images tell you um 
and I trust what I trust what the chart tells me. Mm-hmm. That's an image to me, so the astrology chart. So. Interesting. So if you wrote a book on well, I've read different books on the tarot and astrology. Mm-hmm. Um, all of them with different <laughs> points of view. Um, one of the ones that kind of did stick out to me a little bit was one that associated the court cards with astrological signs because there's 12 court cards and there's 12 signs. And then signing the 1 through 10s to planets. Yeah. Is is that the kind of system that you've come up with? Yeah, well, I've, I've written about what the, the traditional system is that was discovered mainly by, or not discovered, it was presented by, um, you know, Crowley and Theosophists, really, mm-hmm. and, and the traditional associations. I mean, this is my favorite deck, the, the Thoth deck. And that I have one. On it already, you know, like a Nine of Swords is Mars in uh, Gemini. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of go by that, went by those uh, symbols. But I do also recommend, again, you know, not just good learning it by rote. I say, you know, learn all these things because they add different layers to your understanding of the cards and how they speak to you. And then you will move into a point where it's almost instinctive and instinctual. You won't have to go up and say, well, this is Mars, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty cool. So when's the new book come out? Uh, I think. They, the publishers said March the 16th, maybe. Hmm. I can't remember the exact date. <laughs> it all goes very quiet when you write a book and you publish a book, if it's done by a publisher, because they go off into editing and, um, well, the, with the publisher I work with anyway, they, you know, I've done all my writing part and the, and the editing of the writing, and now they're going off and creating the layout and the images to go with it. And then they'll come back to me uh, very soon, probably, and say, all right, it's time to start marketing the book. Go, okay. <laughs> You'll have to come back on when uh, you start marketing the book. Sure, I'd love to. Yeah. Great. Well, this was a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you for taking the time to be on and answering my questions. Um, before we wrap it up, where's the best place for my listeners to find you? Well, um, I, I am big on social media, or on Facebook and um, Instagram. So it's Cosmic Owl Astrology on Facebook and Instagram. Also on YouTube, um, I also have a bi-monthly podcast that's on my YouTube channel, Cosmic Owl Astrology, or it's Weirdly Cosmic on all audio outlets. I do a new and full moon uh, podcast episode where I bring in numerology and the tarot and... Um, and the astrology to talk about what's going on in the world. And this, my website is louiseeddington.com, L-O-U-I-S-E-E-D-I-N-G-T-O-N.com. Cool. I'll put a link to your website in a note to this web episode so my listeners can find you. And I'm guessing that from there they can get to your YouTube channel and your social media also. Yeah, they can. They can find it all on there. Great. Well, it's fun talking to you. Thanks for being on today. Well, thanks for having me. It's it's always fun to do these things, and uh, yours is a fun podcast. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) And just hang on for one second. I'm just going to play the outro.
and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable.com.